class, and welcome. And you're already laughing, class. All right. Well, here we are. Because you showed up in your underwear. Oh shoot! It was. I was supposed to imagine you in my underwear, and then I imagined I. <laughs> Wait. I you got were imagining the... me in your underwear. Yes, I was. About... That's what they always told us in speech class: is we imagine the audience in our underwear, so oh. that they've broken into our house. <laughs> And stolen our underwear, and so we get the sort of moral high ground on them because they did a crime to us, and so oh. we're better than them, and that makes us comfortable in front of them while speaking. Seems convoluted, but I'll buy it. All right. Do you know where you are, sir? I am in class, I guess? <laughs> yes, this is a dream you're having. <laughs> and yes, you all of your papers are late. Oh, no. And no, you did not graduate. I didn't prepare for the test. And no, you did not prepare for the test. Don't worry, the test is the next episode. Oh, great. This is English 691 and a half. The life and opinions of Tristram Shandy and Whiskey. Wait, should I be taking notes yet? Yes, you should have been taking notes this whole time. Oh, no. Don't you know how these dreams work? I don't, I don't. Well, this is English 691 and a half. Uh, the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy and Secret Whiskey. With me, Professor Bartlett. And you are my only student, according to this roster I have in front of me. <laughs> you are... Uh, I'm going to read roll, as all classes must. Oh, good. Ahem. Lilienthal. Lilienthal? It's Lilienthal. Do you want to go to war, Lilienthal? <laughs> I thought this was class. <laughs> no, this is a Key and Peele reference. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh... Lilienthal Michael. Okay, good enough. Well, that's close enough to saying here, so I've regained the moral high ground. <laughs> I um, didn't realize I'd ever had it. <laughs> but that's that's a good preparation for the rest of the semester, then. Yeah. Um, this is a semester? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's like you've never been in one of these dreams, and suddenly I'm British. Um... <laughs> This is going to be a wild ride, sir. Yeah, All right. So, uh, this is... No, I don't know how to say fifth season in, like, an academic skin. But um, this is a class a where we're going to have a lecture seminar discussion on the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, by Lawrence Stern. Mm-hmm. And since this is a graduate-level class, and we are all of age, technically... <laughs> We are going to be drinking. Oh. Now, normally in my classes, I drink scotch, as any good English professor would. Mm-hmm. But for this class, oh, no. we are going to drink something very special. Oh. Because before certain world events that we are not to refer to in these walls. In the walls of my dream. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was privileged to take a trip to Ireland. Ah. And like all Americans who go abroad at all, I have come back extremely pretentious. (laughs) As the first four minutes of this podcast can attest to. Um, what is podcast? Oh, wait. Sorry. That's right. I'm in your dream. I mean, I'm in my dream. You're in my dream. Ooh, we don't want, we don't want one of those dreams. Um, anyway, we're going to be drinking Irish whiskey. This is the Green Spot. When I was in Dublin, uh, the Latvian bartender with a hybrid <laughs> Eastern European Irish accent who first befriended me when I sat at his bar told me I should drink this, and I should, and I did, and I fell in love. <laughs> and this is not the bottle that I brought back with me, because that bottle has long been consumed, uh-huh. but I have managed to track, track this one down. Uh, so this is, if we were in Dublin, this is, instead of in your dream, this is mm-hmm. probably what we would be drinking. Gotcha. Now, this class has very specific rules. Oh, goody. Uh, and my teaching assistant, <laughs> who is very attractive, but you shall not flirt with her. Kinky. Well, all right, we have to erase that from the... <laughs> I am recording this class. Oh. It's sort of a Richard Nixon thing where there's there's a tape recorder in the ceiling. Oh. Um, I think is how Richard Nixon's White House was. Anyway, and sense. I'm going to erase that remark from this recording, but 
my lovely teaching assistant Karen is going to come in and read us the rules of this classroom. Karen? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Yes, well, she... She did word them weirdly, I understand, but... (laughs) It's sort of her thing. You can't you can't really argue with her. Well, have have some. I will. Am I gonna remember this dream? Uh, with any sort of, if there's a merciful deity, no. <laughs> okay. But it will be recorded for posterity. Well, that's just as well, I guess. And as we say in Ireland. Schlank. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. We've broken the ice, so I'm going to use my normal voice and not my pretentious teacher voice. Good. Um, So, young man. Nope. uh, It's back again. (laughs) Oh, drat. (laughs) I may be stuck here. Uh, What do you know (laughs) about... The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, by Laura Stern. Uh, it's a very silly book. Uh, Wrong. Oh. Continue. <laughs> uh, by Laura Stern. Ru- oh, no, that's correct. It's from the 18th century. Um, it's also postmodern. <laughs> it's postmodern, you say? Yeah. Um, now back up that assertion. Uh, <laughs> um, it, uh, oh goodness, I gotta, I, I didn't prepare for this. Um, you, yeah, it, it seems like it maybe... overthrows the structure of what one might normally consider a novel and maintains its own non-structure as its structure. All right, well, <laughs> I'm going that? to... That's, well, that was thing. that was an answer. Yes. Is that okay? Did I fail? <laughs> well, not yet. <laughs> okay. You see, your first wrong answer, I took one point off your grade, so you're at 99. Oh. Oh, okay. Uh, sort of like how when you're at a restaurant and you uh, put five $1 bills at the edge of the table, and then anytime the waitress messes up, you take one of them away. That's sort of the class, the the system of grading for this class. That I that's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> Wrong. Ninety eight. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, I'm afraid to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I wish to interrogate some of the assertions you've just you've just made. Okay. You say this is a postmodern novel. Yeah. When, pray tell, was the first novel written? That's a trick question because it's a debatable subject. Um, Arguably, the 
if you go with the Don Quixote theory, then you're looking at uh, a little more than 100 years before this. Yeah, about 140. Um, that, so, I mean, if, if you go with that, which has a fair amount of support behind it, then that would be it. <laughs> Certainly. We'll grasp onto that for the sake of argument. And in your assertion, then, after 140 years of development... Uh-huh. The novel reached a postmodern phase. Sure. In the 1760s. Why not? When did postmodernism begin, according to most uh, sort of critics? Well, that's also a trick question because it's also a debatable subject. Uh, some would say at the French Revolution, postmodernism began. Some would say that it was as recent as the 1980s. Um, and they're all wrong because it's clearly at the Garden of Eden. Uh. <laughs> well, now you're baiting me. <laughs> Is it working? <laughs> um. All right. I'm going to take over this uh, this ship okay. and hoist topsails and steer us for a while. All right. Um. So, Tristram Shandy is a book. Write, write that down. Oh, the book. Thank you. Good. Um, you don't have to actually write it down. No oh, one can okay. see you. Um, Strike. My dream. <laughs> so, yes, Tristram Shandy is, is a book. Um, it's quite a book. Now, it's possible that I'm doing this... I don't wish to say character because I am who I am, but this persona... <laughs> Because if I didn't sort of restrain and focus everything I had to say about this book, this recording would be four hours of me gushing about it. Mm -hmm. So I've had to sort of restrain myself. Um, but I want to start out this, this clash, class, I can speak, <laughs> this lecture series. Um, I wanted to... Started out with sort of a guide for anyone not, anyone sort of intimidated by the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy. If you've heard of this book at all, it's quite often that it's an unconquerable book, or it's one of those books that English majors slog through in graduate school, and no one wants to read it, and it's it's interminable and so forth. Um, all of which is wrong. <laughs> And the general public does get uh, their their grade bumped down to a ninety nine. Um, They're beating me. So far, yes. Oh. Uh, now this is, I hold one of the funniest books ever written, mm -hmm. and I hold that anyone of sort of a generally educated, decently well read bent can not only enjoy this book, but get most of the joke. Um, and I say this because people still love Shakespeare. True. Now, and this is... Normally, at the beginning of my class, I like to give anyone attending a chance to read the book. Uh. Um, because I find that most students these days don't do the reading before class, so uh, my solution to this is sort of nine-hour-long classes <laughs> in which the, the middle sort of six-and-a-half hours are everyone reading the book. Um, but I edit that out in the in the in recorded version. Yes, <laughs> I fix it in post. Thank you. You're back up to ninety nine. Oh yes. Um, Didn't realize I could get points back. Well, yes, of course. Do you, what do you think I am? Some sort of monster? I wasn't gonna say it out loud. <laughs> well, you rarely do. I know. Uh, right. That said, um, I want to take a little bit of more extended uh, time here at the top to. First of all, I do want to encourage everyone to read this book and to know that they can and that they can enjoy it, um, even if they are not some sort of, how do I say, overread, super pretentious, uh, smarty, uh, pants. smarty pants. Mm, no, I don't like that one. You're oh. back down to 98. Dang it. Uh, and now you've cussed, so 97. What? This is a family class. <laughs> um... You said, dang it, what do you expect me to do? Just let it. that go by? I'm down to 99. Um, right. I really do hope that we get just a raft of new listeners right at this episode. 
so anyway uh before i give you a chance all including you michael because of course you have not read the book um have it certainly not twice or nope. three times not twice. how many times have you not read it twice okay <laughs> uh anyway yes so um i would like to posit quickly because we do everything at this in this class at a brisk pace mm. without digression um mm -hmm. I'd like to posit a reader's guide to the life and opinions of Tristan Chandy Ooh. gentlemen so principle one mm. you can understand this book now, this is very similar to what I say about Shakespeare to people who are quite intelligent but are too intimidated to read Shakespeare you can understand Shakespeare mm -hmm. and certainly if you are someone who has read or seen a production of Shakespeare and understood it and and gotten anything out of it uh you can certainly understand this book mm -hmm. the book is nearly 200 years on in develop closer to our time in the development of the English language than to Shakespeare's time mm -hmm. I think I phrased that wrong but we're going to move on um <laughs> It's nearer to us than Shakespeare, so the the language is closer to our English, mm -hmm. um, and so just like with reading Shakespeare, you have to sort of uh, navigate the grammar and the syntax and the uh, expression, the vocabulary, and know that you do know most of the words and the and the thoughts being expressed in this book. Mm -hmm. um, related point number two: Lawrence Stern's punctuation, grammar, sentence structure thought patterns, etc., were insane, even to his audience. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I wish we could find, Michael, maybe you can, you can help me, uh, just any of, any of some of his more eccentric uh, uh, sentences. Oh, or I mean, turn to any page. Exactly. But I'm, I'm talking about prose and not necessarily <clears throat> some of the trick pages. But Sure. Uh... Call it out by chapter if you have any. Uh, I here in book four, chapter twenty-five or twenty-six, chapter twenty-six. There, oh, there's yeah, there's a fun little thing there at sure. the beginning uh, of that. Um, it, oh yes, wonderful, yes. Okay, go ahead. It, it starts with a dash. It starts with a dash. <laughs> so, see if he's not cutting it into slips and giving them about him to light their pipes! Exclamation point dash. "'Tis abominable,' answered Didius. "'It should not go unnoticed,' said Dr. Caesarchius. "'Dash, finger-pointing. "'He was of the Caesarchy of the Low Countries.'" All right. Um, you did skip a semicolon. Did I? So we have oh, exclamation point, yeah. dash, "'Tis abominable, comma, answered Didius. "'Semicolon, it oh, should yes. not go unnoticed.'" Yeah. Now I would... Yeah, thank you. Okay, you were back down... You were down to 96, but you'd back up to 97. Yeah. I'm down to 98. All right. So, uh... You're not going to beat me in my own class, but oh. I sort of I have sort of a Professor McGonagall thing. If the if the uh, wrong person begins to win the class, I make up a rule. Um, <laughs> so that said, um, yes, one wonderful example. Uh, so it was not necessarily common practice in the 18th century in English novels, English language novels, to begin a chapter with a dash, to have that many dashes. And it's certainly, you did, you said finger pointing and you very admirably said it as if it was something, as if it was something, <laughs> um, which is, it isn't, it's nothing. <laughs> I, I posit to you that no other novel in the English language and certainly no other novel not imitating Tristram Shandy has a finger pointing in the sort of the middle of the text. Right. What does that even mean? Um... Now, it could be, because I'm not a very good scholar, uh, I do only have a Master of Arts, and uh, I, that's in more American literature than British literature, so it could be that this is some sort of like common textual emendation from 18th century textbooks or something. But certainly for it to survive in, a, in a, an edition or a, a novel that still has editions made in, in this century, let's see when mine was... Uh, Printed in 2003, so it's certainly not not in any other uh, novels mm. like that. I would I would almost guarantee you. Right. Um. If I'm wrong, uh, please write to me, care of Michael's brain and subconscious. Um. <laughs> behind all of his Star Trek trivia, 
uh, in the Medulla Oblongata. I have no idea if that's even a part of the brain. I'm not. A... Damn it, Jim. <laughs> I'm an English professor, not an anatomist. Uh, and I'm not even an English professor. Anyway. Only in my dreams. <laughs> All right. You've lost a point for that one. No. Uh, for insubordination. Oh. 95. Oh. Not that, wait, I was at 97. Well, you've lost two points. Oh. And for pointing that out, you lost, you've lost another one. You're at 94. Oh, man. I anticipate you, from what I know about you from being a manifestation of your subconscious, um, I do anticipate you getting increasingly distraught and distracted as I bump you down to the lower and lower grades. I'm a perfectionist! Like, you're still in A territory right now, so you're probably good, but we'll see once you get down to the low 60s whether oh, you're no. even a human anymore. Um, so anyway, point number two. Uh, Tristram Shandy's grammar and punctuation very uh eccentric eccentric even in his own time and the the reason this is important is that it sort of arms you to be aware as a reader that you are encountering something deeply and intentionally odd um not something that sort of not an, an inside joke that you're on the outside of we're all either inside of this joke or outside of it sort of on our own merits i would assert um mm -hmm. So yes, that that is point number two. Point number three is that this book is funny, but you have to sort of have some faith in it. Um, and for this, I want to go into a deeply uh, dangerous territory for me. Oh boy. And start at chapter one of volume one. Okay. Um... And I want to, again, choosing my words very carefully, <laughs> I want to analyze, uh, maybe not even analyze, just, just read through a bit this, this uh, beginning. Michael, would you read, I'm going to say the first three clauses of uh, chapter one of volume one. First three clauses. First three sentence clauses. I wish either my father or my mother, or indeed both of them, as they were in duty, both equally bound to it. Now, what is this sentence about? <laughs> just, now I know you've read it twice. Sure. Um, but just if you hadn't read it, what, what would you say this sentence is about? Uh, family matters. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> and this is very dangerous territory for this podcast. Uh, I mean, this classroom that doesn't want to have to check the explicit box on apple podcasts um what uh family matters would you say so we you you have of course the father and the okay. mother which is, makes you say family but right um okay so like i know what it's about do you want me to like, no no I, I pretend you've only read these first three just clauses. those first three clauses okay um i wish i had my father bound to it um it's hard to say yes exactly thank you <laughs> you've gone back up to 95 yes um because you said exactly what i wanted you to say even though i wasn't telling you what it was i wanted great it's um, easy to read someone's mind when they're in your dream <laughs> that is true i don't like how you've turned sort of those psychological tables on me we'll have a discussion about that later yes. um this entire concept may be revenge for the way you started the first, the last four episodes of the podcast that you're on. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you may go back and listen to them at your leisure. Mm -hmm. uh, now, please reread the first sentence and don't stop until the following clause. So the okay. first semicolon. Got it. I wish either my father or my mother, or indeed both of them, as they were in duty, both equally bound to it, had minded what they were about when they begot me. Begot me. <laughs> um, which I always say, uh, and this may be, reveal more about me than I, than I would like, but I always, I always laugh at this book. There are very few books I laugh out loud at. I always laugh out loud when I read this book, and I always do so when I reread that first not even a full sentence. Mm -hmm. um, and part of this is 
And this this is, believe it or not, all related to the thing I said it was related to, the principle that you have to have faith in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all related to the idea of a periodic sentence. Do you know what a periodic sentence is, uh, student Lilienthal? I could maybe take a guess at it, but I don't actually know. So a periodic sentence is, as those of us who have taken the history of rhetoric, which is obviously most students in this country, um, uh-huh. as we know well, it is a sentence that is constructed in such a way to not be comprehensible until the end. <laughs> um, there's a famous one in Hamlet that Ophelia says, and I, I should just memorize the passage because I use it as an example all the time and I don't I don't sort of remember exactly how it goes, but it's it's a sentence where, and from the look on your face and no other knowledge, you may be able to quote it better than I, but... Um, Ophelia runs runs into the room where her father Polonius is, and uh, it's after Hamlet has has appeared to her in his sort of manic uh, phase, mm-hmm. and he says, or rather, Ophelia says, uh, uh, basically, my lord Hamlet. So you have sort of a subject there, mm-hmm. and then she says, his oh, is I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like his his eyes wild, his hair askew, mm-hmm. his he is this disarranged, his that discombobulated, um, his knees knocking together, uh, which was a lot, much less comedic image, I believe, in the <laughs> 16th century. Um, she says all these things, these images about him, and then at the end she says, he comes before me. Um, and that sentence doesn't make sense until you... So you, you have, my lord Hamlet comes before me. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's that's sort of the subject and verb of the sentence, but it doesn't make sense until you get to that verb, which is 10 lines of poetry down. Right. So that's that's a classic example of a periodic sentence, which is where, um, again, the, it doesn't make sense until you get to the end. All those prepositional phrases and yes. stuff. Yes, prepositional phrases. Um, very important there. Uh, and so what, Michael, would you say just in the abstract, or using examples from the text at hand, uh-huh. um, what would you say might be the purpose of a periodic sentence? Um, Why would you employ that? It would increase interest uh, and force attention, I think. Yeah. Um, it, would, it, it would train the mind to look for the in something comedic, the punchline, um, <laughs> or at the very least, the, the climax. It would train the reader's mind to look for that climax. Well, this is an interesting choice of words you've used on a family <laughs> podcast. I mean, class. Um, but also not one, and I'm phrasing this very carefully, not a choice of words, not backed up by scholarship about this book. Okay. Um, Got it. And yes, no, I, your your observations are all all uh, very uh, very on on fleek, as the kids say. Um, I don't know if they're still saying that anymore. Are they not still saying <laughs> that? What are they saying now? I don't know. Probably something cooler. Something, please something please something tell fleeker. me they're still. Say- did you just say something fleeker? <laughs> I did. All right. Negative five points. You're down oh, to eighty-nine. Oh no! No wait, you're down to ninety. You're oh. still in A territory. Okay. Don't despair yet. Okay. Well, that little noise you just made was an additional point. No. So you're down to eighty. No, I have a B. <laughs> um, don't trust the B in apartment twenty-three. The kids are all watching that still, right? Um, only if they've seen Jessica Jones and want to see more of that actress. What's her name? What is her name? I can't remember. I 88? Just, no. no. <laughs> uh, this semester is delightful. Usually I get very pedantic students, but you're quite fun to torture. <laughs> anyway, um, yes. So, uh, we have the idea of sort of forcing you to pay attention mm-hmm. and looking for a punchline. 
yeah. uh, the the two appropriate ideas out of the three ideas you just <laughs> okay. ventured. Um, yes, it. Uh, th- those are both very sort of, if not themes, um, very sort of repeated concerns or or uh, even demands that um, Stern makes of his readers throughout the book. Uh, the ability to sort of pay attention and and uh, uh, not simply accept things as they're given, but think think about them. Um, as as well as the reward for doing that, uh, which Stern mentions more than once explicitly, and this this might come up in the oral exam. But what does Stern say explicitly that his purpose in writing is? Um, Stern. Yes, or if you like the the Stern persona, the the oh, Tristram okay. Shandy narrator. Who's a very uh, ill-disguised stranger? Gotcha. Uh, he's trying to capture his life and to preserve it for posterity, so that future generations and the world at large can benefit from it. This is true, but he states a, a more sort of a oh explicit and sort of not theoretical, but a more sort of uh, rhetorical purpose, let us say. Um, he says something about... Uh, it's in chapter four, isn't it? Is uh, it? Maybe... You know, a good professor would have uh, sort of had a... I can't remember. Had a, uh, an, an answer to this, like, cited and marked in a text. <laughs> Instead of just sort of asking you to trust him. Uh, well, okay. anyway. I don't know if I'm finding it. I don't know. Uh, he says most explicitly that his purpose in this book is to provoke laughter. Oh, I think I remember that. Yes. There's more than one passage that alludes to it. But, yes. Um, at least in, in at least one of the points, he does say that he would like to provoke laughter in order to sort of act as a medicinal tonic. Mm-hmm. Um, he he expects that, and he uses the uh, the uh, very slightly outdated co- uh, sort of concept of the four humors in his um. Uh, talking about health, uh, now whether it is uh, less or more um, related to the truth of how human health and flourishing works than, say, a series on Netflix hosted by Gwyneth Paltrow um, Mm. that came out just last year, I will not comment on. (laughs) Um, But, that said, yes, he... uh, uh, he says multiple times that he would like to provoke laughter as a way of healing and curing uh, the the afflicted, the ill. Mm-hmm. Um, and in at least one point, using the four humors these, uh, thesis or or uh, cosmology, even he does sort of say uh, that. Um, he, he sort of outlines exactly how laughter sort of expels some of the the bad bile and, and uh, mm-hmm. re- prompts the body to replace it, replenish it with good bile or something like that. Um, right. It's been a while since I've been to 18th century medical school. Um, so, yes. Uh, and that, that relates to his Stern's repeated use of the periodic sentence. Why would he use the periodic sentence uh, in this sort of a rhetorical construct that he's created he would use it uh at least if we believe his narrator lawrence lawrence shandy or tristram stern uh he would use it to provoke laughter mm-hmm. um so if uh now again going back to volume and the dedication one, chapter one. Oh my goodness oh my goodness all right well you're down to 88, but I've bumped myself down to 75. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> um, would you like to read the bit in the dedication? Yeah, it's in the middle of the first paragraph of the dedication. I live in a constant endeavor to fence against the infirmities of ill health and other evils of life by mirth. There we are. Yes. Um, so, in as much as you can, you you might take the dedication of a novel as a sort of thesis statement, which could be true or not true. That's debatable. But in as much as you could, he puts it right in the thesis statement. Yep. Um, now the other passage that I've referred to, I think, is in maybe chapter one of another sort of volume. Um, one of the later volumes. I was trying to find it quickly, but because now, and this is a controversial position of mine, I don't believe that a teacher should prepare for class. <laughs> I think that if if they have anything true and good to teach, that it will sort of well up out of the wisdom of their soul, <laughs> and that any amount of, of preparation is sort of like a game master in an RPG uh -huh. uh, making a plan or making any kind of plot. Those jerks who your uh, player characters are will sometimes, with an extremely vitriolic uh, uh, purposefulness, completely derail that plot. And I have found the same thing is true with students in a classroom. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I don't prepare at all, and therefore I can't back up textually the assertion I've made. <laughs> and I'm feeling rather proud of that. Because at least you weren't derailed. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Go back up to 89. Yeah, I'm almost at an A again. Now, if I detect sarcasm in any sort of remark like that, you'll be straight down again. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Good. Wait, was that sarcasm? No. Good. Good. Of course not. All right. Um, now, the fourth and probably final principle of uh, why you should read Tristram Shandy is that it is basic, it's basically that it's funny, which I know is also the third principle. <laughs> but as I said, I don't believe in preparing, <laughs> so I didn't bother to sort of figure out why these two principles were different. But... This this part of it is is much more that, and this may be less sort of a reason why you should read it as as a guideline how you how you might read it. You almost have to read it like poetry. Every single person that I have ever known who has read this book who has hated it has wondered what the point was and has griped about mm. how long it took for the plot to happen. <laughs> And they all get Fs. They're like that complaint bumps them straight down to a forty-nine. Mm -hmm. Um, and fast forwards them to the end of the semester in their dreams, and they get Fs because that is simply missing the point. Mm -hmm. Um, this book, in that sense, and possibly in no other, is like poetry. Mm -hmm. Certainly, it's not like poetry in the the conservation of. Uh, of language aspect but mm -hmm. in this sense it's like poetry uh the 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 point is not the destination it's the friends you made along the way mm -hmm. or in, in other words the, the point is not uh that that some sort of surprise shock or or uh to use your phraseology shattering climax is approaching mm -hmm. it's the point is sort of the build-up. Mm -hmm. And if the build-up leads nowhere, then at least you've uh, made some friends along the way. Indeed. Uh, so, yes. With all of that in mind, uh, gentle lis lis listener, um, I don't know why I used that phrase, I guess Michael uh, and anyone else listening in the future, go ahead and take the... probably won't need six and a half hours. I need... Two hours? Sure. Go ahead and uh, read this book. Oh, I've forgotten. There's a fifth principle. Oh! Uh, the fifth principle simply is to point out the structure that you will find this book printed in in any modern edition. Uh, Mr. Uh, Lilienthal, mm -hmm. how many volumes is uh, your edition of this book printed in? Nine. Uh, 
Well, it's weird that you switched to German in order to defy me, but yes, you must tell me. <laughs> oh, we, Sable. Ah, you've tried to trick me. Not going to conduct the rest of the class in a language you understand better than I do. Um. Uh. Ooh. I almost broke a rule in another language. <laughs> but I did not. Um, and anyway, I can break all the rules I want and still give you an F, so. <laughs> yes, uh, that said, gentle, gentle listener and Michael, uh, let us, let us pause, let us, uh, let us drink whatever beverage we choose, and let us read this book. <laughs> Alright, and then in here we'll just, uh, insert six and a half hours of silence, since that was the first, uh, oh. uh, number that i that i named Sick. okay uh but I'll, I'll just i'll just fix that in post i so. mean can't they just pause it and come back when they're well done? if you pause a podcast the tape spool like this sometimes not, unspools no. itself especially if you pause it for like six We're and a half hours at the time <sighs> okay wow that was an inappropriate noise <clears throat> what well that just sounded like pooping <laughs> no did it um i wouldn't know all right, so yeah, we'll we'll pause. This is where I'll insert the pause. All right, everyone, look up from your texts. All one of you, wasn't that a wonderful novel? Yes. Michael, for plus or minus six points, was that a wonderful novel? Yes, yes, it was. It was wonderful. All right, excellent. All things. Back up into eighty-nine and a half. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> I'm like Tantalus. <laughs> it's right there, but I can't touch it. Man, the theme of this this class. Do you think if I click the explicit tag on this class, I'd, we'd get more listeners? I don't know. <laughs> That's a fair question. Um, right. So, Michael. Mm. Uh, sorry, uh, I, I misread your name. Mikhail? Okay. Yeah. Uh... Uh, no, it was Mikhail. Gotcha. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> your, the, the clear butt-kissingness of your responses <laughs> does bump you back up to a 90, but don't, yeah. don't get too comfortable. Okay. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to, uh, at this point, uh, 40 minutes into class, uh-huh. I'd like to ask you if... There was anything that sort of jumped out at you uh, that you'd like to bring up for class discussion? Because usually the way that a seminar class works is that we sort of go around the room, mm-hmm. but we don't really have a round to go around in this room. Right. So we're doing so we're drawing sort of a straight line. But I've made my half of the straight line, and I'd like you to come and make your half for once. Oh, okay. I'll I'll, I'll do that. Um, Ooh, then... you took you took that press of aggressive comment, so you're back up to ninety one. Yes, I'll. Uh... <laughs> I I am not Pavlovianly conditioning you. Okay. I would like that on the record. Okay. I have a question. I think. Um, it's here in book four. Is... After forty minutes of this, you're going to ask me a question and prompt me to speak more. Yep. All right. Well, I. Asked and answered, I guess. Yep. <laughs> what is your question? Well, it's an observation, and I, I don't know how uh, much basis my hypothesis has. Um, but I notice it especially, not only, but especially in book four, right. which begins with Slokenbergi e Fabella. Oh, pretentiously using the Latin yeah, phrase. Yeah, the whole Latin side mm, of it. You're either... You've now both gained and lost a point. Oh, okay. So wait, what were you at? 90? 90. You are now both at 88 and 91. Wait. They're 89 <laughs> and 91. Sorry, my I, math was wrong. There are two of me. Um, yeah, this is going real Rick and Morty real quick. Great. Uh, <laughs> okay, so as you know... Book four begins with Slokenbergius's tale, and it goes for several pages 
Uh, one page is Latin, the other page is English. Yes. Parallel. Um, and then... Now, I would like to stop you just yep. for a second. I'm going to let you finish. Okay. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I just have, have to stop you to make like a called shot here. Okay. If you're about to tell me or ask me a question based on the assumption that one or the other, or indeed both of us, has compared <laughs> the Latin text to the English text. I'm either going to start making out with you right now or throw you out of the window of this classroom. Which is sort of the, the like writ large version of this plus minus grade I've just given you. Uh, now, I, uh, now that that is on the record, please pretend I didn't say it and continue with whatever it was you were going to say. I will. I am going to state that that was an assumption that I. <laughs> <laughs> going into it, I assumed that much. Which did you assume that that you had done it, that I had done it, or that both both of us had done it? That both. There was an assumption. I thought it was given. <laughs> well, you're wrong, but I feel the need to grade you up on it because it seems like an, a compliment. Okay. Um, did you... Okay, this isn't the question I was going to ask, but it has to be asked now. Um, the there's, there's a Greek word, random Greek word in the midst of the Latin. Did you pay attention to that at all? I... Are we talking about Argent Veritatum? No. no. It's the paragraph no. that begins Peregrinus Mulla Descendes in Stabilo Inclui. Being medieval rather than classical, I see. Mm -hmm. uh, which? Peregrinus oh, Mulla and there's a Greek word in there, perigdomante. Yes. I did not pay attention to it. Also, my version has a footnote oh. that I also did not pay attention to. What does what does your footnote say? Footnote is right next to the Greek word. Well, it is, in fact, an endnote, which does take way longer to look at. <laughs> um, so, beginning of volume four. The... Are you sure you don't want to say your piece first? Because I think it just translates the word. Well, tell me what the word is translated as. Oh, so you can grade my text. Sure. <laughs> uh, so it gives the the foot or the end note gives the Greek again. Um, then uh, anglicizes it as sure. perizomate, girdle worn around the loins, as in Jeremiah one seventeen. Got it. Uh, semicolon codpiece, an ornamental flap <clears throat> for the crotch area of tight trousers. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, what it says specifically is codpiece, and it's the sentence is, if not periodic, then at least somewhat broken up. Uh, codpiece is not, as Sternwell knew, and equivalent. Right. And that's more or less the point. If you look, he, he inserts there, and this is part of my point, um, he has... A parenthesis in his translation of that paragraph where he says a silver fringe oh. appendage to them, which I dare not translate. Yes. And so he, you know, this, this Slockenbergius' tale is... Which he then does say in the next, like, in the, the next same line sentence. The next line is codpiece, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, so this, the, the conceit of this Slockenbergius' tale is it's a story in Latin that Tristram Shandy is translating for the reader yes. into English. Um, and there are various points um, where he butts in. He, he adds a parenthesis like that, but then he, he adds some that would seem to be utterly meaningless. Like, you don't need that at all. It's on my page 177 um, where there's a paragraph that begins, "'Tis worth remarking for the benefit of all demonstrators," and it goes on. The last, the end, the last sentence there after a, a dash is, "'But when a demonstrator in philosophy Open parentheses, cries Slockenbergius, close parentheses, has a trumpet for an apparatus, pray what rival in science can pretend to be heard besides him. So you've got this um, parenthesis that's just a dialogue marker, but the dialogue is the writing of Slockenbergius. 
And so, it's as if someone someone was translating Don Quixote and said, but <laughs> Don Quixote said, parenthesis, Cervantes said. Right, exactly. That's pretty much it. And he does that several times in here, and I'm my impression is that that's not a normal thing to do, even at his time. You mean in a translation? In a translation. To point out that the person you're translating is the one one saying saying the thing? the thing that you're translating? Yes. Um, I would expect that's not normal, Um, but he does that at various points. Um, Later on, it's my page 183, he says, Haste we now towards the catastrophe of my tale, says Say catastrophe, cries Slockenbergius. Inasmuch as a tale with parts rightly disposed not only rejoiceth, gaudet, and there he gives the, the Latin, which he'd stopped right. doing the side-by-side Latin, right. in the catastrophe and peripatia of a drama, but rejoiceth, moreover, in all the essential and integrant parts of it. It has its protasis, epitasis, catastasis, its catastrophe, or peripatia, growing one out of the other in it, in the order Aristotle first planted them, without which a tale had better never been told at all, says Slockenbergius, but be kept to a man's self. In all my ten tales, in all my ten decades, have I, Slockenbergius, tied down every tale of them as tightly to this rule as I have done this of the stranger and his nose. So he does that several times, and I realized as I was doing this, when it got to the Gaudate, I did exactly the same thing, um, <laughs> verbally. What did you do? <laughs> saying he did this, when you could perfectly well tell that oh. he had done that. Yes. Uh, anyway... So, my point, I guess, largely about this, my impression about this largely, is that he's being funny in a very intellectual way and pointing out the fact that the things that he is writing are of no consequence as he is pointing out their consequence. And what, (laughs) pray tell was your question. Well, my question was about whether that was a normal thing to do, I guess. Um, That seems like a bad question. (laughs) It seems to me that perhaps you phrased something as a question in order to say a bunch of stuff (laughs) and then have the question as sort of an excuse to justify the stuff that you'd done before. (laughs) Which is actually very on point for this book (laughs) and so once again I must reward you both plus one and minus one (laughs) wait so you're both up to 92 and down to 88 okay so it's the same one going up and the same one going down you're not gonna meet back in the no it's like a plus minus what don't you understand about Uh, okay (laughs) you have two grades simultaneously (laughs) okay and how I feel about you when I put the grades in at the end of the semester will determine which of the grades is real. Okay. And also, uh, at that point, I will open the box I've put a cat into. <laughs> I was not going to be the one to bring it up. Um, Wait, would you have lost if you brought it up? I don't think so. I don't think we've ever made that a rule. Oh, we should have made that a rule. I know. But we can't do that mid-season. We can't have rules mid-season. Are we mid-season? No, well, I mean... I thought we're, we were at the beginning of a season. We're at the... Yeah, I guess, technically. This is this is day one of the class. Oh, okay. This is a 24-session class. 24-session class. Oh, yeah, bud. We're doing this all season. <laughs> Great. If you don't have an existential crisis by the end of this episode, you'll have one by the end of this season. Oh, good. Um... Okay. If you want no, me it was to... a it was a valid set of things you pointed out. What were you going to say? Did you want me to talk more? <laughs> I'd sort of prefer it, but okay. only if you had something to say. I don't know. I don't know if I do or not. Um, um Oh, it uh something else. It's not a question, I don't think, anymore. Well, I'm glad you've owned it at this uh, point. Yeah, um, well, at that point where he starts interrupting with just the dialogue markers about Slockenbergius and Slockenbergius' tale, yes. the the writing, which before had at least the veneer of a medieval writer in Latin being translated into English, becomes more and more the tone of Tristram Shandy himself. Oh, interesting. It 
I mean, you can see it in the punctuation, which I think was a little more subdued. Not, not altogether removed, but it starts going more wild, more tangential. Uh, you think it's more tangential after that? After that, yes. Yes. Uh, not that it wasn't tangential before, but it grows more tangential, I sure. think. Um, as Tristram Shandy starts riding his own hobby horses along the way. Um, yeah. Oh, Tristram Shandy starts riding his own hobby horses. He does. Hmm. He does. It, that's a theme, right? Well, the version of you that's doing well in this class now is a 93. Yes. The other version still has an 88. Oh, okay. Does this help? Did you see what I did to my book? Yes, that was very the beautiful. Spine, I marked which book, where the book started. Yes. Thank Good. you for reminding me, by the way, because I think I, I uh, started to say my point about this book having nine books in it. Oh, yeah. You mentioned and that. I, I forgot to finish it. That was the other. That was sort of yet another in my... In my... three chapters ago. Yes. Thank you. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's that's just a demerit. You're down to eighty seven. Oh, dang. But the other one's up to ninety, whatever, so um now I forgot what I'm getting. Oh in yes, thank you. In in my in my again, I guess what has just now become a theme of this episode, encouraging the uh gentle listener to not be intimidated by this book, to read it and find it funny. Um realize that it is divided up into nine books. Now, Michael? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, I mispronounced your name, but we're going to <laughs> go past it. Um, why? Uh, what? Why is this book? Do you know divided into nine books? I don't know. If you want me to BS an answer, I can no, I don't. Up. <laughs> no, wait, I do. Oh no. Do you? Did you have one in mind, or you were just offering uh, not, to be polite? I, I was offering to be polite. Nope. I can. Go up by the seat of my pants here if you need me to. Well, I love looking at the seat of your pants, but that's beside the point. Oh, this is a family <laughs> podcast, except this episode, apparently. Apparently. Um, but family podcast in a different way. The way from the beginning of the novel? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's where I was going with it. Um, well, now I have to definitely put the explicit tag on this one. Uh... Nope. It's all right. This novel is broken into nine volumes because these volumes were published successively, <laughs> like a serialized comic book. Sure. Imagine a serialized comic book. Imagine, if you will, a serialized comic book, an Iron Man limited run. That instead of having Iron Man sort of make amazing technology or fight anyone or like have an exciting climax. Where Iron Man just sort of tried to tell the story of his life, but he ended up going back to sort of World War II with his father and like that that sort of like one scene from a in Infinity War, uh, it was like that, but for an entire book, except when he got distracted and talked about like his nanny and his nanny's relationship with his aunt and. Uh, his aunt's relationship with like a a hot neighbor. Um, imagine if that were a nine volume limited run of Iron Man, and you'll have a pretty good idea of what this book is. Got it. Uh, so this book, as many many books were at the time, was released serially, uh, mm -hmm. two volumes a year when uh, Stern was was in in good health, and um, some years uh, more like one volume. Um, and that's another thing that uh, uh, the the gentle the gentle listener can take as um, a way to read this book and not be intimidated by it. This book was never necessarily meant to be sort of mainlined the way we did in class earlier, and I, I did you all disservice. Um, when I first read this book when I was 18 years old, I alternated it. I read one volume of this and one volume of Republic. And for some reason, when I was 18, year old, 18 years old, no girls wanted to talk to me. <laughs> um, but the point is... I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> a, one, one excellent way to break sort of a, a potentially long, intimidating work into bite-sized chunks um, is to read this one volume at a time. You're, you're looking at probably less than 75 pages in any given volume. 
Mm. Um, and you can sort of rest, and you'll be sort of simulating the experience of this book's original readers. Now, the other point I wanted to make, and the thing I wanted to say about a uh, way you should or can read this book, was actually to get a volume with footnotes. Mm-hmm. My own uh, first time uh, reading this book, I got a copy, and this will date me slightly, uh, as if the unfleek thing didn't do that already. <laughs> I bought this the first volume I owned of this book at Borders. Uh-huh. I read it for the first time in high school. I read it again in college and once again in grad school. It followed me for a few years after that. Um, and I did. I reread it a couple years ago. And during that reread, the cover did fall off. <laughs> um, and the, so that volume was the Oxford World's Classics Edition, which I found the footnotes in that very helpful. Um, I rebought this volume in the Penguin Classics Edition, which the footnotes in, in this are a little caustic for my taste, but um, they're probably quite enlightening. And again, to, to belabor the comparison with Shakespeare, um, it, is, it might be helpful, especially if one is feeling intimidated, to get a volume of this with footnotes. Um, the footnotes will clue you into jokes. They will also clue you into other cultural things that Stern was referencing so that you know, A, that you did not get a joke, and B, this joke was not worth getting. Um, mm-hmm. But C and D, it will clue you into a bunch of, of jokes or, or sort of affirm your reading of, of uh, some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, can be wait, very was helpful. that funny? Exactly. The footnote will say, yes, it is. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes, and again, the uh, the Oxford edition, which I tried to find to rebuy, and it may be out of print. I couldn't find it, but um, it, it was excellent for that. The Penguin edition is, I would say, pretty good for that. And that's been my rating of uh, Lawrence Stern, Tristram Shandy footnote editions with footnotes awesome um those words are all capitalized i will expect you to have written them down and turn them into an acronym later um (laughs) that said we are almost out of time for this the first of a semester's worth of class sessions that will be exactly like this in which you will definitely fail the test just out of my spite oh no um so that said, Michael, go back to sleep. Okay. And as for you, gentle listener, uh, if you like this thing, Michael, why are you snorting in your sleep? What? Um, no, sorry. <laughs> and talking in your sleep. This is amazing. Uh, if you liked this thing that we did, um, first of all, what is wrong with you? Second of all, uh... You might like some of the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. Um, I was going to do a whole Magic Tavern thing where it was like this, which is where this is being captured and beamed out to. And um, it's, yeah, anyway. uh, If you don't understand what that reference was, that's probably, you probably have more of a life than Michael or I do. Um, Anyway, uh, the rest of you, uh, join us on the Tapestry Radio Network. Uh, we have shows like Intermission, our backstage audio, backstage theater audio drama podcast. Mm-hmm. We have Pokemon Rollout, by far the most successful podcast on our network. Really the flagship thing that's keeping us afloat at this point. <laughs> um, and it is a Pokemon Tabletop United actual play RPG podcast. Yes, it is. Wow, Michael Sleep Talking affirmed me for once. That's... <laughs> First time this has happened. I'm going to sit on the glow of this for a second. Anyway, uh, there's also Us Play Fiasco. A, uh, is that is that technically a real play podcast, Sleepy sure. Michael? Sure it is. <laughs> um, it, it's where, where some people play uh, Fiasco, which is sort of an RPG uh, improv hybrid game, mm-hmm. I guess, for would be the best description for someone uninitiated. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good show. Um, Michael is on it sometimes, but it's still a good show. Uh, <laughs> man, why is your subconscious on you this whole time? 
Uh, deep-seated insecurities. <laughs> Let's see. What else? Is there Are there shows I'm missing on the Tapestry Radio Network? Uh, Michael? That's, that's, that's a good, good covering of them, I think. Thank you. Um, yes. So... I think there's a cricket in here. I must go stomp it. Um, yes. So join us in the Tapestry Radio Tap Room. Is mm-hmm. that? Tap yes. House. Tap House on Facebook. Uh, you'll have to apply to join, but if you do, we will let you in unless you are an Agilist. A-G-E-L-A-S-T. Go look it up. That's all of your homework. Um... <laughs> It's relevant, but I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> that said, what am I missing? Oh, uh, Michael, where can they find... Wake up, Michael. I'm right. sick of right. talking to you sleep. Where can oh, they find you on wait. Twitter? I'm on Twitter at M-G-L-A-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Excellent. I'm on Twitter at Bjartlet. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Um, please send any recriminations for whatever the whole bit of this podcast was there, unless you're Nat, because you had some very mean things to say about the lost Don Quixote episode, and I don't want to hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> uh, that said, uh, you can also submit your homework um, on the uh, uh, Michael and Ethan section of tapsradio.org. Uh If you send it in, we will attempt to do it for you live on the air. Probably not in Michael's dream, but maybe. Um, we won't do it well, uh, but we do encourage you to submit it because plagiarism is funny when it's not us getting sort of uh, sent to the penal colony on the moon where plagiarists go. Uh, uh-huh. Thank you. That said... Uh, am I missing anything now? No. All right. Then I will just say, as always, it's my classroom, and I'll cry if I want to. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yes, you will. Thank you. Good night, and good luck. <laughs> Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours. McElroy started one of their episodes. With Griffin saying, seconds before we started recording, Justin whispered into the microphone, trust me. <laughs> no, that's, that's more or less what this is. Okay. <laughs>